Let's do that hockey. Welcome back, everybody. It's the Dauber Prospects Report, report number six. And I'm your host, Peter Harling, and my co-host is with me again today, Victor Nuno. How you doing, Victor? Doing awesome, Pete. Looking forward to digging into this uh, this new set of content we have. Yeah, so we're going to have a couple episodes coming up here on the Dauber Prospects organizational rankings. So this is a little project that I uh, orchestrated with help from all of the other editors on the site. And what we did was went through and, and did our own individual rankings for each NHL team's prospect depth. Each contributor ranked each team's top 15 prospects and gave them a score as well. A score from one through 10. No one got a 10, but a, a one would be no chance this guy's making the NHL, but we had to put someone on the list because this team's pretty shallow. A five would be a player has about a 50-50 chance of making the NHL. And a nine would be, I think, the highest rankings any prospect received on this report. It doesn't include players who have graduated or players who aren't drafted yet. So guys like Connor McDavid and Connor Bedard would be tens, but they're not eligible for this report because they're not drafted or they're not prospects. So it was a pretty big project and... It took a lot of work, but and there was a lot of data and spreadsheets to sort through. But we came up with a finished product that I'm really interested in. And I think it would make good product, good content for a few podcast episodes. It's a, it's a lot of information. And to go through and sort of explain some of our our discrepancies and rankings would be a lot of a lot of writing. It'd just be easier, I think, uh, for the for the reader, or in this case, the listener, just to kind of sit back and, and listen to a couple of guys who contributed to it, discuss and, and explain why a team has a terrible ranking and why maybe we were a little bit off on a couple of players and kind of figure out what the difference was between Victor rating someone a three and me rating someone a six. Victor, anything you want to add to that kind of overview of, of what we're looking at? Yeah, just a little bit. I mean, obviously reading, narrating every list and kind of digging into it would just be way too much. So we're going to kind of group these into different sections. The bottom group of teams have obviously the least interesting prospects. So we'll kind of try to do one, at least one guy from each team. As we get closer to the top prospect pools, we'll do fewer teams and talk about more guys on each team because they'll be more interesting. And so, yeah, we'll kind of try to hit a little bit of an overview on each one, but some of these early teams, there's just really not as much to talk about. But there's always gems to be mined, Pete. There's always guys that can stand out even in a bad system and can be really worth your while. So it's it's good to listen to that. Let's get into it. So the 32nd ranked team, the lovable losers that came in last are the Pittsburgh Penguins. So my kind of overview take on this organization is they're at the very end of their rope on the Crosby, Malkin, Latang era. They won some cups. They've had a good run. And, you know, their their previous management regime with Hextall and, and Burke decided to re-sign Latang, re-sign Malkin and and stick the core together and go for another run. And it didn't work out. And I think ownership is probably feeling the same way, which would explain the cleaning of house of their upper management. And they're going to bring in a, a new general manager, possibly Leafs former GM Kyle Dubas. He's been rumored to be of great interest to them. They're pretty devoid of prospects. They traded away a lot of draft picks to support their Crosby Malkin era. And 
Well, they do have a couple of cups to, to show for it. There, there is some pain coming now. And their top prospects was Samuel Poulin. Victor rated him a three. I gave him a six. Pierre-Olivier Joseph was their next. Their other prospects of note, Sergei Murashov, Drew O'Connor, Philip Lindbergh. So pretty bleak prospect pool there. So the first guy we're going to talk about, I think the only one really fantasy relevant out of this batch is Samuel Poulin. I was a little bit higher on him. He's their top prospect with a bullet for me. He's their only first round selection in the past seven NHL drafts when they selected him 21st overall. He was dominant in junior and the Quebec Major Junior Hockey League. He brings some NHL-ready size. He's got some leadership characteristics in his game. He's reliable defensively, and he's a pretty creative offensive player. There was some, though, that thought that he was too good for the Q last year and that he could have played in the NHL as a 19-year-old, and ultimately he was assigned to Sherbrooke. And after five games, he was traded to Valdor, where he flourished with 25 points in 19 games, following that up with another 19 and 15 playoff games. Penguins have not rushed him into the NHL, which is good on them. They allowed him some adjustment time in the American Hockey League, uh, where he was effective, you know, 19 points in 38 games after 38 games. Anyways, he uses his size and his strength to an advantage. He may not be an elite offensive top six kind of guy, but, you know, given the dearth of prospect depth in their system and the and the need they're going to have for young players in the immediate future, and he'll have a entry level cap that'll make it easy for him to transition to the NHL. Those are the reasons I think he's worth the highest rank on in their organization. And it's only a six, right? It's not like I'm calling this guy a superstar. But Victor, you're pretty uh, poo-poo train on him, giving him a three. So I'd be very interested to hear what the poo-poo train has to say about Samuel Poulin. Yeah, well, he is their first round pick. And he certainly, I think there's no question he was a very good junior player. The question has always been with Poulin is how will he translate to the pros? And he's always had issues with skating. And he was able to mask that a little bit with, against smaller and, and a little bit slower players, but has, as he's risen in the ranks, it's continued to be an issue. And, you know, just looking at some of his statistical models this year, which wasn't, you know, he didn't play a ton of games, just the four points in 15 AHL games, but he has a PNHLE of 14 and his hockey prospecting model is really low. I mean, he's like a basically a statistical anomaly to be a star at this point. His some of his comps are mostly guys that never made it. And one guy named Joe Valeno, who stands out in our minds recently from what he did at the World Championships. Really dirty play there, but that doesn't really relate to Poulin too much. Just to say that he might not, you know, doesn't really have a whole lot of comps that are, you know, impactful in the NHL. We had uh, on our Fantasy Hockey Life podcast, we had Jesse Marshall who covers the Penguins. And I remember last year, I was really kind of excited, hoping that he would that Poulin would give it, get a shot and, and kind of pick his brain a little bit about that. And he was so down on him talking about his skating, as you mentioned the poop train. Well, Jesse Markle, Marshall said that Poulin's skating is like an 18 wheeler trying to turn. It's just so slow and he has a really hard time getting around the ice. And it's pretty much got that point where he needs to prove it or just, you know, the, the penguins are going to have to move on from him. And so that he may come through and, you know, that would be, that would be great. And they certainly have waited a long time for him to do something. He has this one year, as you mentioned, on the ELC to make it happen. I just don't really 
see it happening. I mean, I've watched his skating and he just, especially against in the NHL level, which he had a few games, he just looks so, so slow. It's really difficult to watch at times. He he had a decent year last year in the AHL, but he still kind of struggled to to put up, you know, a, a decent number of points and he still looked really slow and, and like he's going to have a hard time having that impact. So, you know, as Penguins kind of turn the corner here and try to look more towards their prospect pool, I just don't know if he's going to be a big part of the future. That that part, I remain really skeptical there on Poulin. Watching him in junior, I was like, yeah, this guy's really exciting. But then watching him in the pros, it's like, he doesn't seem to fit in quite well there. Yeah, fair enough. I think the skating concerns are very legit. That That's always been the knock on him if, if he can skate at the NHL level. All right, so let's move on to the the next lowest team, and that would be the Tampa Bay Lightning. So why don't you lead us off on this one, Victor? Sure. Well, the Lightning obviously are a very competitive team. They've won a couple cups, been to the cup final three years in a row. It's a really great story for what they've been able to do there. You know, obviously are a very successful team, but in terms of their prospect ranks, yeah, it's not looking it's not looking so exciting there. They have really not that many interesting guys that uh, that, that kind of stand out. But they got a couple of forwards. Most of them we agreed on, a couple that we sort of disagreed on. And there's a couple that we could talk about, but we won't mention Jack Thompson, which you're a little higher on, Daniil Plankoff, which I'm a little higher on, Eamon Powell, which I'm a little higher on, and Gage Conclaves that you're a little higher on. But in general, their overall system is pretty wanting, and they just traded away a ton of picks. I will say they do have a few guys, and I would put Jack Thompson, Jack Finley in this category, which I know you don't necessarily disagree with, but have or agree with, but have a high floor, but maybe not necessarily a super high ceiling guys that, and that's kind of seems what they've been doing. You think of like Ross Colton, you think of Nick Perbeck, some of their players that have just stepped into a role. So maybe they're going for that. But I think this guy that we're going to talk about, Nico Hutenin, which is just a fantastic name. And when he was scoring in the dub, they would always scream Hutenin. And so that was kind of fun. But uh, he is a seventh-round draft pick from 2021, and he's pretty young for his draft year. That's also important to remember. And he's a six-foot-two right wing. He's Finnish. He played in his in his draft season over in in Tapara for the U20 team there. And then he came over to the WHL, played for Everett in 21-22, 77 points in 65 games. Then he went back to the Liga this year and played for Ukarit. And had 30 points in 48 games. Pretty good. He was a top three player on that team that wasn't amazing. More goals than assists. He did some international work for Finland. And looking at his PNHLE, he has a PNHLE of 53, which is certainly fantasy relevant. Maybe not super exciting, but it's there. He kind of rates out as a as a tweener, first or second liner. Definitely closer to a second liner, though. Some of his comps are guys like Rupe Hintz. Hey, that would be good or Austin Zarnick or Oscar Lindblom, those guys, maybe not as exciting. Another interesting factor is hockey prospecting has him pretty low star potential, just 2% right now. And he actually looks in the model a fair amount like Alex Barry Boulay, who was one of their previous draft picks. He's a little bit smaller. And I think part of the reason he struggled, or at least part of the reason he didn't quite pan out is his, his size. And Hutenin doesn't have that problem, but... Just statistically, PNH or NHLE wise, 
these two look the same, which certainly doesn't bode well. And that's kind of making your argument for you there, Pete. But mm-hmm. some other things to mention is that I, I have a couple of family ho- fantasy hockey life scouts that I got some information from. One of them, Yarno, he lives in Finland and he watches all the Finnish leagues there. And he mentioned that Hutenin's shot is just really good. And it's a real weapon, especially on the power play. But his skating is is a, is a problem, has a real hard time getting around. But he's a big guy and he's pretty good at winning puck battles. And uh, if he can figure his skating out, he could be an impactful NHLer. That he thinks that he needs uh, at least a, a year or two more in Finland and maybe another year or two in AHL. So Hutenin, probably going to be a long wait. And then another one of our scouts is actually a, a dedicated lightning scout for his his own uh, purposes. And, and he reiterates that point that he's he's got a great shot, has to work on skating, especially this in, in, inline skating. Also mentioned he's a bit of a good playmaker, so that's interesting. But Hutenin, if he does kind of make it, is a long ways away, which I know is a big turnoff for you, Pete. But I, I think in, in deep enough leagues, if you could be patient with Hutenin and you have the roster space, why not throw them on your team and just wait and see? The the Lightning are going to have to restock their covers eventually, and they're going to have to give guys like this an opportunity. Or maybe he gets traded to another team and they give him an opportunity sooner. But I'm a little bit higher in Tuesday, and I think that shot for Hutenin can be can be his meal ticket if he can figure out a couple of the other things. What do you think, Pete? My my reasoning for keeping him a little bit lower were the skating is is a concern, but it's more the the term that's going to take him to get to the NHL. If you're talking about a player who's more than one or two years away, then you know that's a little bit of commitment to your roster spot for a player who isn't a guaranteed to play in the NHL. Do you really want to reserve a, a prospect spot? For a guy who's going to turn into be you know, a third or fourth line guy that has a big shot, is big and physical, and can play a two-way game and has some offensive upside and, and gives you a little bit on peripherals. Those are all good things, but I'm just not sure I want to invest that much time into him. So I'd give it a year or two, see what he does when he comes to the American Hockey League. And then uh, then I might be more interested in, in fantasy stock on that prospect. But for now, that's why... I was a little bit more on the poo-poo train side than than you were on that one. Let's move on to the next team, the New York Islanders. This is a team that I think is in a world of hurt. Not only have they kind of traded away some some draft picks lately, they've made some poorer selections with draft picks, and their contract situation on the NHL roster is questionable at best. They've got some old guys that aren't worth their contracts that are signed too long, and Lou Lamorello even joked about that after they signed Bor Horvat to that contract extension. His comment was, it's too much money and it's too much term. Dude, you you signed it. So I'm not really sure how I feel about the New York Islanders' future. It's, it's not great. And you look at their prospect system, it's also not great. One of their former first-round picks, Simon Holmstrom, Vic, you rated him as a as a three. I rated him as a six. I think I might have been a little generous there. They've got Jakob Skarik in goal, Tristan Lennox. You both rated those two guys five. I rated them two or, or, or I didn't rate them at all. I didn't give Tristan, he didn't make my top 15. Let's talk about, I guess, Simon Holmstrom first. As I mentioned, he was a first round pick by the Islanders. Bob McKenzie had him ranked 43rd on his draft list in his draft year. So the Islanders selected him 23rd overall, which... At the time, seemed like a bit of a stretch reaching and grabbing him at that stage, especially when you had options on the table like Philip Tonacino and Connor McMichael. So I think that was a mistake that they've kind of doubled down on since the draft. 
And, you know, they picked a player with no previous pro experience. And the Islanders brought Holmstrom to North America as an 18-year-old and dropped him in the American Hockey League, where he kind of laid an egg, you know, 15 points in 46 games. So I don't really like the way that they've developed him either. You know, he was a minus 15 as a rookie. So that's a kick right in the confidence. And his second season, his point pace dropped slightly with seven points in 24 games. And he was named to Team Sweden at the World Juniors and he was held pointless in five games there with a disappointing showing. So I guess the reason why I, I still ranked him as a six is twofold. I think despite the fact that the Islanders have kind of screwed up his development, I still think he has the ability to play in the NHL. And I think the window of opportunity for him to, to get there will be relatively shorter because they're going to need some players on ELCs uh, that have some skill. So I don't think that, you know, I rated him a six, so I'm not calling him a superstar. And he's got just a better than 50-50 chance of, of making it to the NHL. So I'm not high on him, as you can tell from, from my description on, on his file. But you think even less of him. So how can we make that even worse than the way I painted it? I don't know. I heard your ringing endorsement loud and clear, buddy. I don't know what you're talking about. Yeah, it's uh, it's it's bleak on the island. And part of the reason I rated the goalies so high is, well, I do think they're pretty decent, but also there's much more variability in goalies. So I feel more confident rating them a five than I would Holmstrom a five, just because I think the range of outcomes is wider. I'm certainly not as confident in Skerek being a regular NHLer, but I'm less confident that Holmstrom has a fantasy impact. So that's really what it came down to for me. I definitely agree with you that I I don't think that the Islanders have done him any favors. There was a lot of expectations from early on. I don't think being a first round draft pick really helped him. I think if he's drafted in the forties, I think we are having a different conversation about him right now. So that's sometimes a little bit unfortunate for these guys looking at his PNHLE. It's based on his NHL time this year. And so he, he only had a 15 point pace in his 50 NHL games and his pain HLE is 18. So pretty low. His hockey prospecting is zero, which is pretty terrible. I mean, I know Byron gives everyone like a 5% chance right off the bat, no matter what. And so to get down to zero, you have to be spectacularly terrible. Uh, and so there aren't really a whole lot of guys that that turn out to be stars from this, this pro- projection. It's basically guys that just completely buck the curve, you know, the trend and our total outliers. So that would have to be the case for him. Some of the comps that I dug up that I think are somewhat reasonable are like Louis Erickson, Andreas Janssen, Alex Kerfoot. Yeah, maybe. I mean, none of those guys are super exciting, but they're guys that have certainly been rostered on fantasy teams here and there. I think one thing that was good for him in the NHL this year is his expected goals against per 60 was really quite good. So he was a pretty good defensive forward. I don't know if that's just the system. You know, we know... The Islanders tend to play a good system, so maybe that was just him, but his expected offensive impacts were really low. And so that's uh, that's unfortunate. I just don't know that there's a whole lot here. And yeah, he's got one more year. And so he's hopefully will be really motivated to show well and earn a, another good contract. What's hard on fantasy, though, is that he doesn't really do much else. He doesn't really score a lot. He doesn't really hit a lot. doesn't really block a lot. doesn't shoot. It's like, well, what, do you, what are you doing out there? Just a bunch of cardio basically every shift. And so that's not really helpful for your roster. I wouldn't be super shocked if he had some reasonable impact in a year or two, maybe he kind of figures it out. Maybe he, he just needs a little bit of, you know, deep breath and some more confidence from the team, but I'm not, I'm not banking on it. I'm I'm not holding any 
any shares of Simon Holmstrom, which is unfortunate because, you know, Tomas Holmstrom was such an awesome player for the Red Wings and you'd think maybe he could get a little bit close to that level, but I don't see it, Pete. Yeah, so what we're saying is the Islanders suck and I don't like Simon Holmstrom and Victor likes him even less. So stay stay far away from, from that file. So let's move on to the Boston Bruins. They are the 29th ranked team, which... I thought it was a little surprising because there's actually some some decent prospects in this system. I guess they just lack some depth. You've got Fabian Lysel at the top of the list and Mason Lorai. Matthew Poitras was their 2022 top pick. I don't think they had a first round pick. Brandon Bussey, Frederick Brunette, who Victor really loves. Brett Harrison, Georgie Merkulov, Beecher, Ashan Lauko. So the Bruins are another team that you know have been very competitive. For a number of years, traded away some picks, had a contending team, and they're aging out. We'll see if Bergeron and Krejci come back, and Marchand is is on the back nine, I would say. And you know they've been looking for the free agent market to supplant their lack of of draft picks. One player I think that we had a, a wide range on. There's a couple you didn't rate John Beecher, and I rated him a five. I mean he he was a first round pick. Uh, Andre Gasso, you rated him a four. He didn't, he didn't make my rankings, but let's talk about Georgi Merkulov. Here's an interesting player. He's already got two full seasons of development from the USHL and the NCAA under his belt before the Bruins signed him. He's only 22 years old and he scored 55 points in 67 games as a rookie in the American Hockey League last, last season and was Providence's best player. In fact, he led the team in scoring. So there's a changing of the guard coming in Boston. And while I don't think he will be a key player for them, and he's not going to be a core player or anything like that, but I think back to when the Leafs were really bad and they had a number of players who were what I would call transitional players or NHL band-aid players. They, you know, they bridge the gap between when you were good to when you'll be good again. And I think that's what the Bruins have in in in, in Merkulov, something like a, a Nikolai Kuhlman from the 2010 to 2013 time with with the Leafs you know I rated him as six so that's just a slightly above average chance to make the NHL and I think he's got a a, actually I think he's got a pretty good chance to make the NHL but the six would be because I don't think he'll be very impactful when he gets there and and he'll be there for a good time not a long time as well so Victor what was your side of the coin on Merkulov and and why you only rated him at two yeah well I I like Merkulov as a player I think he's definitely going to be an NHLer he He's very fast. He's dangerous on the penalty kill, scored some goals. I think that the biggest thing is that I know that a lot of people like AHL production, and I think it generally is a pretty good indication of how someone is going to do at the next level. But generally, when you're when you're a little bit older doing well in the AHL, it doesn't usually translate to as high a production in the NHL. If you're we talked recently about some some teenagers and some, you know, younger players, 20 year olds having really excellent rookie seasons in the AHL. And that tends to translate really well to high-end NHL production. 55 points in age in 67 AHL games is nothing to sneeze at. That is really excellent production. But when you're a little bit older doing that, it tends not to be quite so able to translate to, you know, like what we would all hope for a 60 plus point forward. Not saying that Merkulov can't do that, but to me, when I watch him, he's he's just a class of bottom sixer. He has pretty good movement. You know, he skates really well. I don't think that he's super dynamic. 
but he can make plays and he makes good good passes. He doesn't he's not bothered by the speed of the game, so that's good. But the other thing that's kind of unfortunate for him is that his his bash isn't even that good. His blocks for a forward are excellent, but he doesn't really hit or shoot very much. So what is he going to be doing at the next level? Is he a top line player? I definitely don't think so. I don't know that he's even a second line player. Although, as you mentioned, with a lot of openings in Boston, maybe. I, I don't think that was impossible. I think middle six is certainly possible. I just see him more as a bottom six player. That's why I'm a little bit lower on him. And to me, I'd rather... I'd rather bet on someone who's farther away that has more upside than someone who's close that I think has a really low ceiling. And that's just, I think we have a different philosophy in that, but that's fine. That's kind of how I think about Merk Luov. And, and I just want to throw in that John Beecher is also a bottom sixer to me. I don't think that he's someone who can be at the top of the lineup, but he certainly is close. So I think that also just further illustrates we sometimes think about these things a little different. Yeah. And, you know, not only is it just necessarily the way you think about it, but it's what are you shopping for? Right. Are you shopping draft picks like high end draft picks and prospects drafts? Then then these guys are not players that should be on your radar. You said he's a little older for his his 55 points in the AHL. And that's true. But it's he's not 24 years old. He's still only 22. If he's ready to move to the NHL as a 20, 22 going on 23 year old. There's still optimism there and there's still some some potential for upside. I guess let's move on to the next team that I'm a little higher on this next guy. And that's from the Washington Capitals. So the Capitals are kind of in a weird place. They're still in this kind of competitive window. They still have Ovi. He's kind of chasing down that goals record, but they don't have the most robust prospect pool. They kind of made some interesting moves at the deadline. I think getting Sandine was really smart for them. They have some other pretty decent picks coming up. So they added some decent prospects lately. They are definitely not afraid to take some Russians. They took Maroshashenko last year who had some issues health-wise. And so they, they're they kind of a risk-averse, it would seem. And they still have some pretty decent players in their pool. Lap- Hendricks Lapierre is one. Vincent Iorio, which I'm a little higher on than you. Brent Johnson. Alexiev still in there. And the guy that we're going to talk about, though, is a little bit lower on the consensus, but I definitely drove him up the list a little bit with my seven, and you had him as a three, and that's Alexander Suzdalev, who was taken recently in the 2022 draft, third round pick. His heritage is kind of interesting. He's mixed Swedish and uh, and Russian, and he played in Sweden during his draft year, and he just came over. He was playing for HC, HV71 in the, in the J20 that team is relegated currently to the Elsvenskin, so he did get a couple games there, but they he wasn't really eligible to play in the SHL, so mostly he was playing at the J20 level. Anyways, he looked really good there in his draft year, and then this year he came over to the Regina Pats, who had, obviously, Connor Bedard and some other pretty good players, and he really excelled. 86 points in 66 games, and he's a 6'2", 176-pound left wing, in case you weren't sure. The thing is, there's some interesting things about Sustalev, for sure. And and even though I rated him high, I think it's because that's kind of everything coalescing into a good outcome. I think there are a lot of holes you can poke into why this won't happen, but I'm going to try to paint the picture of why it could. He's a big body. He's really you know good in terms of like using using that to some extent. The transition to the AHL, I think it could be really rough for him. That's going to be a big increase in speed. And that's something that he, you know, isn't, isn't the best at. This will be his third 
league in three seasons. So last year he was in Sweden. This year he was in the WHL. Next year he'll be in the AHL. So all those transitions can be a little hard for him. Right now his PNHLE sits at 59. So, you know, a 60-ish point forward, I don't think is terribly unreasonable as an outcome for him. And he's got some equivalents though that aren't super exciting. Guys like Curtis Lazar, Quentin Howden, Morgan Geeky, NHLers, but like not super exciting. His hockey prospecting has him more in the in the nine to ten percent range of being a star, but looks more and more like an NHLer. He's got some decent comps, guys like Matias Michelli, who really broke out this year. I think Valeri Nichushkin is someone who he could end up looking like. Obviously, he broke out really late, but has been really good lately. Yeah, I'm not saying this guy is going to be amazing, but I think in terms of the, I think some of this might get a little slanted based on the other players on the team. But uh, I really like Mershenko on the Capitals, and I think Suzdalov is closer to him than than some might say. So that's just kind of my personal opinion there. But Pete, tell us why. You don't think this is uh, this is as good of a, a bet as as I might think. So my concerns with him, and you hit on one of them, was he's been a little bit transient in the last few years. He really popped last year in Regina, but you know that's playing against junior level talent, and it's playing on a line with Connor Bedard. So I can't help but think that those numbers are are a little inflated. And then some of the the notes I read on him that he's got the height, but he doesn't really play a very strong physical game. He's got good passing and playmaking abilities, but his overall hockey sense might not translate to the higher levels. Because of those reasons, I was a little bit cool on him, uh, rating him only a three. Now we'll see what he does in the AHL this coming season, because that's where he's going. And, you know, if he if he translates well there and and can keep up with the pace not necessarily the the physical pace of it, but the mental pace of the American Hockey League, that's where my real concern is with this player, then that will totally change my opinion of him. And, and if he can show that he wasn't dependent on Connor Bedard to maintain that offensive production that he had last year as well. So I'm just, I don't dislike him. I'm just skeptical. So next up, we're going on with our rankings. It's the 27th ranked Florida Panthers. So here's a team that, uh, sadly is is ranked in the, the bottom portion of our organizational rankings, and they've just traded away their first round picks until the end of time, it seems. Their prospect depth in the in the pool, Mackie Samuskevich was number one and Michael Benning was number two. I believe we talked about Benning on a previous episode not too long ago. Justin Sardif, Grigory Denisenko, Evan Nose, Alexi Heponiemi is that's where it starts to to go south. I ranked Heponiemi a six, and Victor doesn't even recognize him on his rankings. Some other discrepancies between Victor and I, we had Jack Devine as a two for me, but Victor had him as a five. Victor didn't rank Ryan McAllister, but I had him as a four. But talking about Heponiemi, as I mentioned, he's a big, uh, dynamic offensive finish forward. He's been slowly developing since his draft in 2017. He's since won a World Junior Championship gold with Finland and a WHL championship with Swift Current. And he is now in his fourth season as a professional hockey player. And the offensive production has been pretty evident in the American Hockey League. He's had plenty of opportunities to produce in the NHL and has not really clicked. 
So I'm still kind of hoping, I guess, you know, I ranked him a six. So that's just a slightly better than average chance of making the NHL again, not a star. But I think, you know, his pedigree and his resume speaks to the fact that he just might need a little bit more time to figure it out. And if he does, if he can put it all together at the NHL level, then the upside there will be pretty decent any at the very least. So, Victor, you're uh, you didn't even rank him. So you think that window is closed? I'm taking it. Yeah, pretty much. There was a time where I was high on Hepponiemi. I mean, he flashes such great skill at times, right? And so you watch him, and you're just like, oh, that was really cool, you know, especially on on perimeter perimeter type plays, right? And when you're outside, when he has time and space, he can do some really slick things with the puck. He can make guys miss. He can open up lanes. He can beat some really nice passes. But yeah, he's 24 now, and it's been a long time since he was drafted back in 2017. He has had some decent production at times. He's bounced around to different leagues. He's got some NHL time, and it hasn't really translated. One of the big issues with him, I find, is that he's just really inconsistent. Like There are times where he's completely invisible. He doesn't really seem like he knows where to be. He lacks effort at times. But there are other times where it's great. And so you're just like, okay, do that, do it all the time. But he he has a, apparently he struggles with that. So yeah, I think that that's the that's the issue with him. He right now, his PHLE is pretty low, like 27. If you back up to his hockey prospecting, which ended as D plus three year, he still looked like he had pretty reasonable chance to be an impact player. One of his comps was a guy like Connor Garland, who's certainly a pretty decent producer. But he really struggles to drive play on both ends of the ice. And I think the the biggest issue is that he's an RFA. And I, I'm just not even sure that he is back in North America. Uh, I was talking to our Finnish scout, Jarno, and he's he's pretty convinced, though he couldn't confirm that he's that Heponiemi is heading back to Europe and probably either Switzerland or Finland to continue his professional journey. And I think that he probably could be a pretty good professional on the larger european rinks i think the smaller north american rinks give him trouble because he doesn't have as much time and space to to do the things that he likes to do and he's not really an inside type of player part of it is that he's a little bit smaller he's only 510 154 pounds but also i think that's just not the game he likes to play so it's a little bit more of a of a challenge so yeah i've that's part of my not ranking him is i just i don't even think he's going to be here so why bother yeah fair enough <laughs> But uh, yeah, so the next guy, let's move on to the next team, the New York Rangers. Now the Rangers, they're a pretty good team. They didn't do so well in the playoffs this year, but they certainly have a strong core. They they and the Devils had a great series there. They have really excellent D. And one of the D we have on our on our consensus list, Zach Jones. We like him a lot. I I we're just I'm a little worried that he's gonna not get the opportunity. Most of the guys on this list we agreed with in terms of our consensus and Pete and I, Brendan Othman, number one, Shakora, three, Quill, four, Berard, and then it kind of thins out a little bit and we have some disagreement on Bryce McConnell Barker, which is the guy we're going to talk about. Overall, they're at the 26th mark in terms of the organizational rank. And so this is a team that had recently a lot of really excellent prospects and most of them have graduated to the NHL. So, hey, that's what you want. And they're making an impact, some more than others, but either way. So let's talk a little bit about Bryce McConnell Barker. I had him ranked as a seven and Pete as a four. So we're a little bit 
different there. And so it's worth kind of discussing a little bit. He was a third round pick in 2022. So just this past season, six foot two, 194 pound center. And he had a pretty good D plus one season. He's in the OHL. He was playing for the Sioux Greyhounds in his, in his draft year. Remember his, uh, his D minus one year was that COVID year. So he lost an entire year of development. And this past year, he had 77 points in 68 games for the Sioux Greyhounds. Not bad. I think it's also really important to mention that he's really young for his draft year. So he's only 18 and he won't be 19 until June 4th. So playing each one of these years at almost a year behind most of his colleagues there and in the same draft year is a little bit tough. And so I think that's important to, to kind of keep in mind. I guess it's also worth mentioning that he doesn't really have any international caps. So he came up in the in the London Junior Knights system and he hasn't really represented Canada any anywhere. So sometimes that's interesting. Sometimes, you know, I'm not sure that it really matters, but usually the guys that represent Canada have a little bit better shot of being impact players in the NHL. It's also interesting looking at his PNHLE. He has a PNHLE of 51, so kind of just above a second line potential kind of guy. And he's kind of been there since his draft season, increased it a little bit since then. Some of his equivalents, well, Michael Bunting is one of them. That would certainly be a pretty decent outcome. Adam Rogiska, who just got a little bit of opportunity this year. Jason Dickinson is another one. Looking at his hockey prospecting, not super exciting, kind of in that 5% chance of being a star, which I was mentioning earlier is kind of a given for everyone. But he has been able to increase his NHL probability a little bit. And again, just being younger, I give him a little bit more leeway because he's behind. He's a little bit behind everyone else. So I'm not saying it's going to be amazing or anything, but I think the early birth date and his continued improvement year to year, especially from the zero year when he lost that COVID year to to then his draft season, his D plus one year. I think there's a little there could be a little bit more there there, as they say. Pete, what do you think? Well, that's funny because like, you know, I kind of agree with all of your takes on this player, but I'm still not seeing why you'd rank him as, as high as a seven. You know, there's a player who doesn't really have a strong draft pedigree and his production at junior has been good, but not great. Uh, it's not like he dropped in the draft rankings. He was kind of ranked around where he was selected. Your comparables, Adam Ruziska, Jason Dickinson, Michael Bunting, while those are NHL players, for the most part, they're not really impactful players. So I, I would just reserve a seven for a player who I have higher expectations for. Well, I like McConnell Barker, and I think he could make the NHL. I, I don't have high expectations for his fantasy upside if he makes it. I guess that's where I'm perceivably down on him. Yeah, that's fair. I guess maybe just seeing all the if everything works out really well for him. That's maybe more of his ceiling based the ranking more based on his ceiling than likelihood. So, and while I had him ranked four, I had him as like the sixth overall prospect, I think six around there, six or seventh for, for the Rangers. So I don't think very highly of a lot of the Rangers prospects once they get past the, the top four or five there. Let's move on from the Rangers and let's go to number 25 Vegas Golden Knights. What's your uh, overview on them? Well, they came in a league with a bang, obviously, and they I think they had some really good early drafts and then they traded a lot of them away because they were better than they thought originally, I think. And so they don't have necessarily the best prospect pool now. I mean, we ranked them 25th 
They still have some decent players though, but a lot of them have just been moved on. And so it doesn't have the depth of some of the other ones. We had Brisson, number one, Lucas Cormier, who I really like at number two, Pavel Dorofiev, number three. Uh, then we then I think it really kind of thins out a little bit. There's some guys like Caden Korzak. There's Daniil Chayka. There's some other guys near the bottom here. But the guys that were, were pretty different, actually, on a lot of these. Feet. I'm a little higher on Chayka. You're really high on Cotter. I'm a little higher on Ben Hammerling and Isaiah Seville. And the goalie, Yuri Patera, who we saw this year. I think goalies are just hard in general to guess on. But the guy that we're going to highlight is Ivan Morozov. And he is definitely near the near the bottom in the consensus ranking. Most most people didn't think too highly of them. I had him as a seven, and you had him as a two. I think part of this, I know that I kind of rank defensemen a lot differently than some people. And I know even in the in the Dauber guide, he tends to have defensemen points be weighted double. So that's something to think about as you're as you're kind of going through these. But Ivan Morozov, let's focus on him. 2018 second rounder, six foot one center. He's now 23, just turned 23. Uh, he's got a little bit of a late birthday in May. And he he was in Russia for a long time playing in different leagues, got a little bit of KHL time as far back as 20, 2018, 19. Uh, he was over there for quite a while and then came over last year at the very end, played uh, just a couple of AHL games for the Henderson Silver Knights. And then this year he was basically full-time in the AHL. In his KHL time, he had uh, mostly was pretty average production, but he did have one season with Ska where he had 31 points in 55 games. That was 2020-21. Last year, he was kind of moved around a little bit. He played a little bit for Sochi, played a little bit for Ska, played a little in the VHL. You know, Ska is a really good team, so it's always a little tricky with them. But this past year, he had 17 points in in 58 games. And so that's part of maybe why people are a little down on him. And his PNHLE really has kind of taken a bit of a nosedive since since that strong season in the KHL. And so his PNHLE is pretty low, 13. He does have a pretty decent hockey prospecting profile, though, kind of in that 15% chance of being a star and, and pretty likely to be an NHLer. He has some comps of guys like Bo Horvat. That seems unlikely. Maybe a more reasonable one, Jamie Langenbrunner. So he's a relatively early pick, one of the few that they have still. And, you know, I admittedly not the best AHL season. I think sometimes that first year can be a difficult adjustment. So I guess I'm higher on him. But as I went through and like reanalyzed everything, I guess I could see how Maybe he's not the most exciting. And I think part of it when you're when you're digging into these teams, I think maybe I don't know if you notice this a little bit, Pete, but sometimes you end up just grading it against that same team a little bit more than you do across the board. And I think when you look broader at the landscape, it's like, yeah, I mean, Morozov compared to some of the guys on other teams, not so much, but I do like him as one of the better prospects in the Vegas system which as a whole is not great. So that's something that I would probably reconsider uh, reanalyzing this, but you're going to tell us even more reasons to be down on Ivan Morozov, aren't you? Yeah, although I think my two rating might have been a little harsh. So my concerns with him are, you know, he's 23 already and he finished 12th on team and scoring with a team worst minus 22 on the plus minus column. You say what you will about plus minus, love it or hate it. He was way way off from a lot of the other Henderson players with that rating so you know his defensive game apparently needs a lot of work 
his KHL numbers were pretty inconsistent. You know, I was going through and I see some, some, or his, even just his time in Russia, some, some seasons he looked good and some seasons or stretches or were a little bit more flat. So I don't really have the context there if, if he was getting limited minutes, but it was up and down. So that's a bit of a red flag for me, but I haven't really had an eye test on. So strictly going off the numbers, I have concerns. But Vegas, they they spent some draft capital on him with a second round pick, right? So there's some some hope there on that file. I, I think my two might have been a little a little harsh, maybe just because I'm not overly familiar with this player. I haven't haven't really got a lot of exposure to him, so I guess I erred on the side of caution. So let's move on from Vegas and let's talk a little bit about Colorado Avalanche. So they came in the next ranked team on our list, which would be 24th overall. And you'll notice a a typical trend here. The teams that have been perennially strong contenders for the last couple of years uh, have a tendency to to draft late if they keep their draft picks or not at all if they trade them to bolster their roster. So the top players that ranked for the Colorado Avalanche Bowen Byram, Nikolai Kovalenko, Sean Barnes, Eustace Anunin, Oscar Olison, John Luke Foody, and Ben Myers, and the once mighty but fallen off the face of the earth Ryan Merkley, who they acquired from San Jose. So there's there's some pretty lean prospects on here, and and quite frankly, I had a bit of a challenge getting up to 15 with some of them. I was rating some guys who I didn't feel deserved to be ranked. So they got some skill at the top end there with. Bowen Byram for sure. And then there's a bit of a bit of a steep drop off when you get down there. The player that I think you and I were going to talk about on this one that we had a discrepancy on was Ben Myers. Ben Myers just finished his first year with the team and they signed him as a free agent out of the NCAA. And he was the most coveted NCAA free agent going last summer. He's been a proven offensive player at the NCAA. He had uh, 17 goals, 24 assists, and 41 points in 34 games in his sophomore season. And he was a Hobie Baker finalist. I don't think he won. He's proved he can score against professionals as well. He played for USA at the Olympics. He had four points in four games there. He also finished the season in the world championship last year because he wasn't eligible to play for Colorado in the playoffs when they went on to win the cup. At the World Championship, he had eight points in 10 games. So, you know, a lot of a lot of reasons to be optimistic about this player. He started the season in the NHL, but didn't really cut the mustard. They sent him to the American Hockey League and he scored 24 points in 34 games there. So he's got some offensive chops. He just hasn't been able to put it together at the NHL level. And, you know, the clock's ticking on this guy. And I guess that is going to be your principal argument as to why you ranked him four and I ranked him six. So we're not like widely off here, but I think that the big challenge for him is he hasn't really been given the offensive reins to run in Colorado would be my guess. I don't watch a lot of Colorado games. I've watched him play a couple times and he's not looking like the same player that I saw in college. In college, he was making dynamic offensive plays, really carrying possession and driving offense and transition, creating turnovers. So even going back before we played in the NHL, I wasn't forecasting him to be a prolific offensive player at the NHL because he is he is on the older side. But I thought he would have more fantasy relevancy than he has, that he would be used 
in a like a third line kind of role as an energy player, penalty kill, defensive, but that he would contribute more than he did offensively this season. So Victor, is is age the primary concern here, or is there another translatable deficiency that I'm overlooking? Well, I mean, I think age was maybe part of it. He, I, I think for me, the biggest thing is that he, I just don't think he's that offensive like you do. I think that maybe he was at lower levels. I'm just not sure he has that to give here. His PNHLE is 18, and his hockey prospecting has really steeply declined. Uh, he's only he graduated the model a couple of years ago at 2%. So very statistically unlikely. Some of these guys who who put up, you know, pretty good points towards the end of their NCAA career, gen, you know, usually they don't generally turn out to be high scorers in the pros. So, you know, when they do that as a freshman, that's why what Fantilli did this year is so impressive. Guys like Paul Correa, Jack Eichel, guys that lead the NCAA in scoring as a freshman are usually really solid NHLers if they are one of the best players in college as a junior or senior, it's not nearly as impressive generally, but he did have a good season in for the Eagles last year. And so, you know, obviously he's gotten some play, you know, when you watch him at the NHL level, to me, he looks like an NHLer for sure. Like he's, he's going to play in the league. So if, if that's valuable, then, you know, that's great. But he's, he's, to me, he's a defensive forward. He gets deployment according to that. Sometimes players can break out of that mold and be more offensive. I mean, a, a guy on his team like Val Natushkin was kind of that player for a long time, was really strong defensively. And then eventually the scoring came, but you had to wait a really long time for that to work out. And, you know, Ben Myers getting 40% offensive zone starts, eight points in his first 39 NHL games. Not, not exciting. Not super exciting. Also getting really low time on ice. Yeah, and he is 24. So how much better is this going to get when he's literally in his prime playing NHL games? When guys are like this and I just see a low floor, I personally just would rather not bother, even if they're playing in the league, because to me, I would just rather go get someone off the wire, right? Rather than hold on to them as a as a prospect. So I'd rather save those spots for someone who I think can have a more impactful future as opposed to someone who I think their ceiling is capped and I can get a replacement level off the waiver wire uh, for similar production. So that's why I'm not super excited about Ben Myers. Maybe I'm just biased because I, I own him in, in one of my fantasy rosters. He's I roster him and I need him to do better than he's doing. So maybe it's just wishful thinking. <laughs> that definitely happens to all of us. Let's move on to the next team. So the Vancouver Canucks are 23rd and they well they've been an interesting team with some of their management and and contracts that they've been refusing to give some players and giving to other players looking at UJT Miller so it's it's been interesting their their draft they've gotten some decent draft picks they've also had some that haven't quite panned out uh i think drafting Elias Patterson and then Elias Patterson is one of the funniest things that's happened in the draft so I'm really hoping both of them end up on the team together at some point. That's going to be fun. So we had a consensus of Atu Ratu being the top player, then Lekanamaki, Jack Rathbone, Danila Klimovic, Kraftsoff. And then down near the bottom, we had a guy that we're going to talk about because I ranked him a seven. He would have been one of the top. He was one of the top prospects on, on my list. And you didn't even rank him. And that's Jacob Truscott. Some other discrepancies. I'm definitely lower on Kraftsoff. I'm just really over him. There's another guy that I'm into, Kirill Kudravstev. 
and he I had him as six, you had him as a zero. Uh Damon Gardner also has six and you had him not ranked. Aiden McDonough, you're a little higher on than me, and Josh Bloom. But let's focus on Jacob Truscott because this this is a bit of an interesting one. And I, I know that we're gonna have a little bit of a disagreement here. And that's that's good. Makes for good good content. None of, none of this was intentional. We didn't we didn't really confer our lists at all. So Jacob Truscott, he's a 2025th round pick, six foot one left-handed D now 21 years old 180 pounds he plays he's from michigan plays in michigan grew up in the in the u.s ntdp program and he also has represented the u.s a couple times at the u17 challenge and the world junior championships uh not not the biggest point scorer there um looking at his hockey prospecting it doesn't look great <laughs> he's like one percent chance of being a star uh, most of his comps are guys that didn't really do much and Brendan Gooley, who's Caden Gooley's younger brother that people probably forgot, or older brother that people probably forgot about. His PNHLE, though, a little bit different story. He has a 51 PNHLE. And again, as a defenseman, a little bit more exciting here. A 51 PNHLE for a forward is, is, you know, marginally interesting. But for a defenseman, that's much more exciting. And when you look at his his timeline, though, it has kind of seesawed up and down. So a little bit higher in 19... 2019-20, 2019-20, lower in 18-19 and 2020-21. And then he's kind of crept back up to somewhere between a second and first line potential. Some of his comparables, Eric Jelena, Brendan Gooley. So that's fun when models, when PNHLE and NHLE models agree that Brendan Gooley is a is a comp, also not good from our my argument. Matias Samuelson is another comp who I think would be a pretty great outcome for him as someone who's doing really well in Buffalo. So he was also the assistant captain there at Michigan. And what here, here's my argument. He plays big minutes. He plays important roles. He's out there a lot. And that allows him to accumulate really good bash. He has experience playing with elite D-men with the last name of Hughes. I think that bodes well for him in Vancouver. There's one of those there. There's one of those. Well, there was one of those there in Michigan. He'll be in the NHL. Luke will next year. I think he's one of these defensemen who can really settle down a rover type offensive defenseman like Hughes. The only downside I would say is that they're both left-handed. So that might be a little bit tricky, but I think Quinn kind of likes playing his offside. It's good for offense. Maybe, maybe that's in his future. I think he's someone who definitely will play in the NHL. Truscott. I think he he's going to be back at Michigan next year, I think, but he's someone who could step into the NHL right after that, right after his senior season. And with a high peripheral floor, you know, he just needs to get enough secondary assists to, to make it worthwhile. I mean, a guy like him who scores, you know, 30 to 40 points can be well worth it in fantasy. And I like that once he, once he's ready to step in the NHL, he's, he's going to be, he's, he should provide production right away, as opposed to someone who you're going to have to wait a long time for. So that's my argument for liking Jacob Truscott. Pete, explain yourself. So I've watched a few Michigan games over the last couple of years because they've had some some players worth watching. And he's never really stood out to me. He's always just kind of been invisible in the background. Made Team USA at the World Juniors, apparently. I don't remember seeing him there either. He had zero points and just he's never really stood out to me. So he's not a widely ranked player. Uh, if you go searching for Vancouver Canucks top prospects, you don't hear a lot of people shouting about this guy. So you know, I've I've never really read anything about him that made me take notice. I've never seen anything from him in games that made me take notice. So I guess I never really did, which is why I didn't rank him. 
There's some other players on Vancouver's depth chart that I like better than him for the defensive position, including a couple of guys that they just signed as free agents in Akito Hirose and Cole McWard. And I think that speaks volumes to what they think about this guy that, you know, they, they addressed that position as a deficiency and went out and used free agency to shore up the depth at that position. So, you know, I like the things that you said about him, that he, the positive things anyways, that he's capable of playing with star players because there's value in that. And that he, he provides some bash in the fantasy leagues I'm in. If you have a minors eligible player that can deliver hits and block shots, uh, that's valuable, right? That's on an entry-level contract. That's if you're in a multi-cat league, that's, there's use in that until he signs an expensive contract and then he's no longer useful. I just think there's a lot of other, other options that you could look at for your fantasy league than, than this player that have a better upside. I think that's one thing that is actually a feather in his cap, though, because the kind of defenseman that Jacob Truscott is, is someone you don't notice. He doesn't make mistakes. He doesn't turn the puck over. He's really good at moving the puck around. Sometimes you don't even really notice. He doesn't do the flashy day things. He does all this. He does all the little things. And sometimes you see the space that he opens. You see the lane that he creates, but you don't necessarily always notice it was him doing it. And then he allows his other skillful teammates to do the things that they're good at. So, you know, that translate to fantasy though. Well, if he's out there passing the puck to his good teammates who score, yes, that can. And he's out there a lot. If he's, if he can play as a, as a second, you know, or even top pairing defenseman with, you know, Quinn Hughes or something like that, he's going to be out there a lot. He's going to play big minutes and he's going to get a lot of bash and a lot of opportunity to score some points, even, even if they're secondary. So there is definitely a, the future where that is possible, I could see why you're a little bit more skeptical on that. I don't necessarily think that signing those other guys is a huge roadblock. When he's done, he's going to step right into the league and be able to be impactful. Some of the things about some of these guys on ELCs is that they, you know, they don't necessarily have the biggest impact right away, but he should because he will be very NHL ready by the time, by the time he's ready and he signs. Yeah, fair enough. You make some good points there. And I, I, I do see value in, in defensemen that will be on the ice a lot because in order to get any kind of stats, you got to be on the ice. You don't get any stats when you're sitting on the bench or, or in the press box. So moving on down our, our team rankings next up would be the 22nd overall ranked Edmonton Oilers. So the Edmonton Oilers prospect consensus rankings reads something like this. The number one prospect for them was Stuart Skinner, who's, Calder candidate this year had a tremendous season. Next up was Dylan Holloway. And we're going to talk about him because Victor and I had some discrepancies on him. Philip Broberg, Xavier Beauregard, Matvey Petrov, Raphael Lavoie, Carter Savoy, Tyler Tulio. These are all some of the players that constitute the top 10 for the Edmonton Oilers. So, you know, we're starting to see a little bit more, a little bit more intriguing prospects as we work down our rankings here at number 22. Discrepancies we had, Victor, you rated Ryan Fanti four, and uh, he didn't rank for me. I also didn't rank Nikita Yevsiev, who you had as a five. And as I mentioned, we'll talk about Dylan Holloway, who you had pretty low as a five. So that's like a 50-50 chance of making the NHL. I had him as an eight. And, you know, he played 51 games in the NHL last season, although he only scored 
nine points. So not very impressive, but 51 games sure is. So I like that's one of the things I liked most about him in my high rankings. I'm also taking into consideration that he was limited to just 22 games in the 2021-22 season. And I wonder if that might have hurt his development a little bit. This is not a player I think is going to turn into be a star by any stretch of the imagination. So having him as an eight might have been a little bit generous on my part in hindsight. But he gets high marks for being a legit NHL player, as I mentioned. He established that he's got offensive game when playing in the NCAA. And he's shown he can produce at the AHL level as well with 10 points in 12 games. He's still only 21 years old, so he's been kind of cutting his teeth in the NHL last season. And it could be a player that I think we we see take a big step forward coming up in the next year. You sometimes see players a little bit slower to make the adjustment. And, you know, this is going to be his third season only in pro level right now. And like I said, he was limited to 33 games in his first. So I'm giving him a little bit of leash here and counting on his uh, draft pedigree and junior production to translate into what I hope to be a relevant fantasy hockey player. So Victor, you had him ranked low. You had him ranked as a five. You're a little bit skeptical that this is going to turn around for him. Why is that? Yeah, I think, I I mean, it basically comes down to the fact that I just think he's a middle six player and not a top six player. I he's seems like he's going to be an NHLer, and that's that's great. I mean, you draft someone in the middle of the first round, you want them to be an NHLer, and I think they're going to get that out of him. His PNHLE is pretty low, you know, in the twenties. His hockey prospecting is reasonable. He's still like in the ten to fifteen percent chance of being a star player. I've just talked to a lot of Oilers, you know, experts and and beat writers when they talk about him they just think that he's a middle six player and don't know that he has the high upside top of the lineup kind of guy and and you can't just go by with who he played this year because he was basically playing with Derek Ryan Ryan McLeod Jesse Pugliarvi that doesn't mean he's locked to those guys you know forever but I don't think that he is going to have huge you know points upside despite having pretty good AHL production when you see him in the NHL he just doesn't really seem like he has that next gear to be top of the lineup kind of guy so yeah and that's kind of why i have him lower i I think it's you know some people rate these guys higher just because they're going to be in the league and i would rather just trade dylan holloway and get someone who is even two or three years you know away but might have might have a higher upside you know I, i to me that's that's more important but you know we all have different things that we're looking at it might depend on your team if you're someone who's competing now and you can flex him up and down from your minor spot and get some NHL games and a little bit of production, then maybe that's valuable enough for you right now. I just wouldn't expect Holloway to be that, you know, 65 to 70 point guy. I don't know that he has that in him personally. That's going to be pretty much far enough into this episode for the organizational rankings. If you've enjoyed this and you want to see more on the OR rankings, you can find them all. They're all published now on Dauber Prospects. So on the main page, there's a rankings tab at the top. Just click that little drop down and hit organizational rankings. 
It'll give you a homepage with links to all of the, the overall rankings. And you can you can read ahead and get ahead of yourself because we'll be talking about this on the next couple episodes coming up too. A little bit of housekeeping for Dauber Prospects. We just had a hiring frenzy where we've added a whole bunch of new writers covering team prospects, including our own producer, Evan Sabrin, who is now going to be covering the Dauber Prospects Detroit Red Wings page. Evan, his Twitter handle is Saber91, as in Sergei Fedorov. So you know the team's in good hands with the Red Wings fan there. So welcome to the team, Evan. Glad to have you on as a writer and a producer now. I'd also like to just take a second to thanks again to Kevin Longwell for our logo. Uh, we're pretty happy with it. Check him out on Instagram at Kevin Longwell. If you want to interact with either myself or or Victor or Evan and, and talk about things on the show, or if you want to pick our brains about the organizational rankings, go ahead and give us a follow on Twitter at DPR underscore show at Farling P H A R L I N G at Victor Nuno 12 and at Sabrin 91. You can also follow us on our Facebook page, Dopper prospects report. We'd love to uh, hear any comments you had thoughts on the show. If you like the show, go ahead and subscribe or and even give us a five-star review on whatever platform you listen to. You can subscribe on iTunes or Spotify or whatever podcast aggregator of your choice. You can also find the podcast, of course, on Dauber Prospects on the podcast page. You'll also find a, another really good fantasy hockey podcast there called The Fantasy Hockey Life. And there's a familiar voice on that show as well. So thanks for uh for listening, everybody, and enjoying this episode, which was Dauber Prospects Report number six. Coming up on number seven will be more of the same. So until then, keep your stick on the ice, and we'll see you around. We have clearance, Clarence. Roger, Roger. What's our vector, Victor? Let's do that hockey. Hockey. <laughs>